You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I've, the title of my sermon is more of a question. It is the question, the central focus of our text this morning. It's the question that is asked in Acts chapter 19. Verse 2, and here's the question, which is the title of my sermon, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in here in just a moment, but let me just give you some context of where we're at in the text. You remember the book of Acts is the historical record of the birth and the, and the, uh, and the spread of the church. And, and here in our text, we are in uh, the, the, the latter part of the book of Acts, and we're looking at Paul's missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul. This is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey, where, where third major missionary journey, where he will spend the majority of, time, of his time in the city of Ephesus. If you want to really uh, learn about Paul's time there, uh, go and read the book of Ephesus. Ephesus. Sometime today, uh, or this week, take some time, it won't take you very long, and study the book. Of, just read it, uh, and you will learn a lot about the Apostle Paul's missionary journey to this wonderful uh, city in Ephesus. It's interesting, though, this is an interesting um, uh, fact about this missionary trip and how it starts compared to other missionary trips. You remember as, as, as Paul would go into these cities, as he would begin these journeys, Paul would first find uh, a synagogue and he would begin to unpack the scriptures. He would begin to explain using the Old Testament text how Jesus is the Messiah, how the Messiah had to come and suffer and Jesus, the one who was put on the cross, is the Messiah. That's how he would start out his missionary journeys. And if he couldn't find a synagogue to preach the gospel in, he would find a small group of believers and he would start there. Well, what's interesting about Ephesus is, is Paul doesn't start in the synagogue. He starts with a group of people who are disciples. Now, now hold that term loosely, and I'll explain that a little bit more here in just a moment. But he starts with this group of disciples, and he asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Notice the Apostle Paul does not believe that the Holy Spirit is something that comes after salvation. The Holy Spirit is something, is the, the third person of the Trinity that comes at the moment of salvation. There is a false teaching out there that is quite rampant that the Holy Spirit comes after. There's a, there's a second salvation, that the Holy Spirit comes after salvation. No, Paul says this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit not after you believed, not after you were saved, but when you believed? That is his question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. And that is my question for us this morning. When you accepted Jesus Christ, or when you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Let's look at the text, and then we'll come back and explain it. Let me just say from the very beginning, the first seven verses of Acts chapter 19 are quite difficult um, verses of Scripture. 
Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, the one who's received the inspiration from the Holy Spirit, um, uh, gives us a hard portion of text uh, to, to understand. But here's the beauty. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate writer of the book of Acts. And we have, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Therefore, we have access to the author. And when you have access to the author, the author can give you clarity. And so, so while I'm not going to be able to answer every question in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7, I believe I will be able to answer the most important one. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I can ask the question and I can help us come to the conclusion where we can either say yes or no, and we can get that right today. So here we go. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and he came to Ephesus. Here's, his, here's, here's the beginning of his third major missionary journey, spreading the gospel through the city, this major city, Ephesus. He found some disciples, and again, I want you to hold that term loosely, um, and, and I'll explain it here in just a moment. And he asked them, underscore this question in the text, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, why did the Apostle Paul ask that question? I don't know. And I'm going to explain that here in just a moment, uh, a little bit more here in just a moment. But I don't know why he asked that question, but he asked that question, and I believe it's a question that's worthy of us to ask uh, today. And they say this, no, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. And they said, into John's baptism, they replied. Listen to what Paul says. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, now I believe the Apostle Paul, I believe Luke is giving us a, um, a snapshot of what the Apostle Paul said. I believe the Apostle Paul unfolded the Scriptures. I believe the Apostle Paul said, listen, this Jesus... Uh, has come, He is the Messiah, and when He came, if, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they had not heard of that yet. They had not heard of Pentecost. They had not heard that the Holy Spirit had come yet. And so they are only believing in John's uh, message that a Messiah is coming. They had not yet come to the conclusion that the Messiah had come. So they're living in this very interesting period of time. They, they, have, they are disciples, no doubt, of John the Baptist. They, they, have, they, they are believing in a, in a coming Messiah. So you could say in some, in some uh, instance or some level that they're like an Old Testament saint. They are trusting the Scriptures that, that they must be saved by a Messiah. There's nothing within themselves that can save them. So they're, they're trusting in a coming Messiah, but yet they do not, they have not heard yet. It's, it's they're, they're, they're like distance. The, the news hasn't traveled to them that the Messiah has come, and His name is Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul unpacks that. And then in verse 5, look at what happens. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they clearly, at that moment, they accept the gospel. They accept that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they, they receive Him as their Lord and Savior. And they are baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in 
all. Here's what happens. The latter part of that, and sometimes we can get off on that, and we can think, man, this must be, this must be what happens normative in the church. There must be a belief, there must be a baptism, then there must be a laying on of hands for someone to receive the Holy Spirit. No, here's what's happening. This is the final culmination of the Jews coming to faith, or some of the Jews coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the Samaritans coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the Greeks coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and now these 12 represent the Old Testament saints, that now they have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and in every one of those instances, there is a visual outpouring of the Holy Spirit in some type of sign gifts. Now, listen, some, we can get caught up on that and think, That must be normative. No, that's not normative. What is normative all throughout the New Testament is a recognition of sin, a repentance of sin, an acceptance of a Savior, His name is Jesus Christ, and and asking Him to come into their life in being the Lord and Savior of their life. That's what is normative. And at that moment, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so you might look at this and say, man, why? Why would John, or why would Paul ask this question of these disciples? Because every disciple is not a Christian. Every disciple is not a Christian. Let me give you a, let me tell you a story about John Wesley. John Wesley is the father of, uh, is believed to be the father of the Methodist Church. Although uh, there was the Methodist Church wasn't around when John Wesley um, um, uh, was was alive, uh, was preaching the gospel. But it's believed after he died that it was from his efforts that the Methodist Church was born. Let me tell you a little bit about John Wesley. He was the son of a clergyman. In other words, he was a he was a pastor's kid. It was believed that that John Wesley, I mean everyone wrote wrote it on the wall that John Wesley was going to grow up to be a mighty man of God. He had a he had a godly father an incredibly godly mother, unusually devout mother. Uh, and, and and it was just the 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 uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, it was just there. It was just it was that he was going to become a believer. At a very young age, he served as an assistant to his father. He was ordained uh, in the church. Uh, he went to school. He was educated at Oxford, where he became a. Um, uh, a, a, he became a double professor of Greek and logic at Lincoln College. Um, while at Oxford, I, I feel like. Um, I feel like I'm reading like an obituary, um, and I, 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 I just got to tell you about his life so that what I'm going to tell you about him makes sense, all right? So just, this, just hang on through the obituary, okay? Uh, while he was at Oxford, he was a member of the Holy Club. It's a group of, uh, of Christians that the other students called, they titled the Holy Club because they were so devout in their faith. Uh, later, later on, as he was a professor uh, he accepted a call to become a missionary, to go to the Americas and, and to share the gospel with the Indians in, uh, in Georgia, where in his words, this is what John Wesley said, he utterly failed at doing. He went, but he utterly, uh, utterly failed. He was forced to return uh, to England, and here's what he says, I went to America. America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? 
wait a minute, John Wesley, you, you have an incredibly godly father, well respected in all of England. Your mom is, is just, just the, the, the godliest woman of anyone we know. You are a double professor of Greek and logic at a prestigious school. What do you mean, who shall convert me? Well, not all was lost. Uh, because in his earlier travels to America, he found a group of Moravian uh, Christians that impressed him. They were, they were like a magnet. Their, their Christianity just, uh, just drew him in. He was magnetized by their faith in God. So as he returned uh, to England, he, he began to search out uh, these uh, Moravians. Um, here's what he says, clearly convinced of unbelief, of the want of that faith whereby alone we are saved. Listen to these words in his journal. This is so powerful. On the evening of May 24th, 1738, listen to what he says. I put it up on the screen because I want you to get this part. May 24th, 1738, John Wesley writes this. In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. They, 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 they didn't call it a church, it was a society, but it was a group of believers where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. Not reading the book of Romans, just reading the preface. Listen, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, it doesn't matter if you're reading the book of Romans or if you're reading the preface. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, He gets a hold of you, and that's what happens. About a quarter before nine, I love that part because that means they were preaching for a long time. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change with which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt, this is what John Wesley says about himself, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I, I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone, for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and he saved me from the law of sin and death. May 24th, 1738. Professor, knowledgeable of the Scriptures, missionary, son of a pastor, gets saved. This warming that he talks about of his heart was a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It was a work that the Holy Spirit was, was rebirthing him. He was, he was, this phrase, we don't hear it in church a lot anymore, but he was born again at that moment. Amazingly, until Aldersgate, this, this society meeting, John Wesley, a man who knew more theology, who was more dedicated than most believers today, did not know Christ or the saving power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if it could happen to John Wesley, to have all of that knowledge, to be in the church, to be, to be raised in that type of household, to, to have the knowledge but to not be saved, it can happen to any of us. I don't know if you remember all the way back to the end of January, 1st of February. Y'all remember when we had Danny Forshe here for our revival? Doesn't that seem like years ago? Wow, that was just this year. Danny Forshee, in seminary, surrendered his life to be a pastor. And it's at seminary where he meets Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Wow. How's that happen? 
How does this happen with John Wesley? He was in the church, but he was condemned. Wesley was in the church, but he was not in Christ. Did you hear me? He was in the church, but he was not in Christ. He knew the God of the Bible. He knew the Savior of the world, but neither was the Lord of his life. He knew the things. He had the the head knowledge, but none of it had trickled down to his heart. Listen, this is repeated every week in the church today. Every week. In this church, churches all across the land. People come to church, they hear the gospel. They recognize their sin and how it separates them from eternity with God in heaven. And they're drawn to that. They they recognize how that breaks the heart of God. How how Jesus had to come to the cross to to pay the penalty of their sin. And so they hear the gospel. They're they're moved by that. uh, They're they're drawn to the the ethical teaching of Scripture. And so what do they do? They they, they strip themselves of their sinful habits. And here's here's, here's the, the miss. You ready? Here's the miss. They strip themselves or they, they, they commit to stripping themselves of their sinful habits. They, they start the process of stripping themselves to, of their sinful habits. But here's the miss. Instead of putting on Christ, they put on self-dependence. Hear the gospel. They're, they're drawn to the gospel. They, 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 they're, 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 they love it. They think this is the, they see the, the value in, in giving their life to Christ and following the teachings of Christ. But instead of putting on Christ, they put on self-dependence, they put on self-reliance, they grit their teeth and bear it for a season. For a season. I see some of you shaking your heads. You've been there. Drawn to the gospel. Long for the ethical teachings of God. Long for that to be be in your life. But we do as a culture what we've been taught. Pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Self-dependence. Self-reliance. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of that sin. Man, I'm going to grit and bear it. I'm I'm going to do everything that I can to say no. And we do it for a season. Every week in churches all across here, all across the world do this. People do this. Their sin is like a squeaky wheel. Now follow me here. Their sin is like a squeaky wheel. When the noise of their sin becomes too much, they give God a nod. Like, like okay God, I'm going I'm to come to church. This is, this is where I was drawn to the gospel. This is where I was drawn to this ethical teaching. So I'm going to give God a nod. And maybe in that nod, He will kind of oil the squeaky wheel. Quieten down the squeak. Or even worse, they surround themselves with people. I think this is a word. If not, you can correct me later. They surround themselves with people who have squeakier wills. Allison, is that a word? Okay, thank you. They, they surround themselves with people who have squeakier wills than they do. And in doing so, their squeaking will doesn't sound so bad. Are you following me, what I'm saying? Yeah. 
There's a false confidence that since they heard the gospel, since they were convicted by the gospel, they're saved. Let me say that again. There is a false confidence that because they heard the gospel and because they were convicted by the gospel, they're saved. Listen, conviction can lead you to salvation, but conviction of your sin is not automatic salvation. Let me say that again. Conviction can lead you to salvation, but conviction alone is not automatic salvation. Listen, I I can tell you, I've sat in church before when I was younger, and I was convicted, and I I grinned, and I bared it, and I couldn't wait to get out to get get away from that conviction. But some people, it's not that. It's some people, they, they, they hear the gospel. They're, they're, they like it. They, they're drawn to it. And they assume since they heard it, and they assume since there was conviction there, there must be salvation. No, that's not always true. Listen, the purpose of conviction is to lead you to a knowledge of your need for a Savior. Purpose of conviction is to lead you to a knowledge of your need for a Savior. And listen, self-reliance is not a Savior. Self-reliance can't be a Savior. Self-dependence can't be a Savior. Family heritage is not my Savior. I said it earlier, my grandmother come and stand at the front of the pew. She accepted Christ. She, she was the beginning of our family. Just She was the, the matriarch of our family. I, I was raised in a Christian family. It was so good to be able to go to family reunions or just go to birthday parties where all the families were together and there was a, uh, there was a, there was a, a spiritual element uh, to, the whole, to the whole meeting. I absolutely loved it. I loved that I was raised up in that but I've said this before but listen God has no grandchildren God doesn't have like second cousins you follow me God God has children and listen so my so my family heritage cannot save me self-dependence cannot save me self-reliance cannot save me Jesus Christ the son of God is the only one who can save Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. My knowledge won't save me. My good deeds won't save me. Only Jesus Christ. And so, we get to our text here. And we see Paul encountering some disciples. And if we're not careful, we'll read through that and just go, man, these these must be believers. Because they are disciples. And so because they are disciples, and then John prays and they receive the whole or they, they pray, accept Jesus Christ, and they receive the Holy Spirit, there must be another baptism. I, I must be missing something. No, not not at all. These people weren't true disciples of Jesus. Rather, they were as what Pastor Alistair Begg, Pastor, I love the way he words things. He 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 says they are twelve almost Christians. Twelve almost, the, the, the reference to twelve is at the end of verse seven, says that there was about twelve in this group. Twelve almost Christians. What caused Paul to ask the question? Did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but perhaps Paul observed something in their behavior. Paul observed something in their demeanor, leading him to ask them some important spiritual questions. Maybe, that's, maybe this is one in the main one 
that Luke records for us, the most important one of all that he asked them. And it's good it's a good question because it's clear they didn't possess the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. Listen, if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that they are an immature believer. It means they're not a believer at all. Let me say that again. If someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that they're an immature believer. It means that they're not a believer at all. Paul writes, and he's clear on this in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Look at what Paul says. It's on your screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Listen, every Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a a, a learner, a follower of Christ, a, a, a disciple of Christ. Every Christian is a disciple. But not every disciple of Christ is a Christian. I believe in America and the Christian culture, we we struggle with that thought. So let me say it again. Every Christian is a disciple. But every disciple of Christ is not a Christian. Where do I get that from? John chapter 60. Turn there if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen. John chapter 60. Jesus is teaching. He's talking about man must not live on bread alone. And he he goes into this teaching that you can kind of understand in the context of their day. They, They probably thought Jesus was teaching on cannibalism where Jesus says you must... Uh, eat my body and you must drink my blood. You, you, have to, you have to believe that they it set them back on their heels. Like, what, what are you talking about? What well, Jesus explains, but watch what happens. As Jesus is teaching this, listen to what happens. Verse, John chapter 60, verse 60, Therefore, when many of His disciples heard this, the teaching about you must eat my body and drink my blood. You know, he's, he's, he's prophesying about the Lord's Supper, about remembering His body being broken, about His blood being shed. That's what He's, he's prophesying about. He's telling about. But when many of His disciples heard this, there's the word disciples, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, He asked Him, does this offend you? Then, then what if, verse 62, then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now watch verse 64. But there are some among you who don't believe. Who's He talking to? He's talking to disciples. Followers of Jesus. Learners of Jesus. But they're not Christians. Why do we know that? Because it says, there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray Him, talking about Judas. Verse 65, He said then, Jesus says then, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Verse 66, this is the key verse. From that moment, many of His, what? Disciples. 
turned back and no longer accompanied him. Disciples. No longer accompanied him. So Jesus says to the twelve, he's talking about the apostles now, the twelve chosen apostles. You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So let me say again, every Christian is a disciple. But not every disciple of Christ is a Christian. We can be drawn to God. We can like the ethical teachings of God. We can learn the Christian language. No doubt John Wesley knew the Christian professor in Greek. He knew the language. He, he, knew, he knew how to dress going into church. He knew where to sit. He knew when it was time for him to get up and when it was time for him to sit down. He knew all of that stuff. But he did not know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And sometimes we get those two. We, 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 we struggle with that idea that someone could know, head knowledge, Jesus. But he's not their Lord and Savior. And so John asked this important question. When you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because if you didn't, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me quickly try to apply this to us. There's three kinds of people in our churches. There are non-Christians, individuals who haven't received Christ or the Holy Spirit, though they may have some type of intellectual, some uh, some cognitive knowledge belief, they, they've never accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. They may be like these twelve, these John's disciples, if you will. They, they, they've manifested in their lives some willingness to repent, but they've not yet met the resurrected Christ. Listen, if that's you this morning, you need to receive Him by opening up your heart Believing on Him has your sole hope for salvation. Because He'll give it to you. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you at that very moment. There are also committed Christians who need to keep on believing. Continually, continually believing in Christ means continually receiving the Holy Spirit. Being dependent on Christ. The more we are dependent on Christ, the more we can, the more we can experience the Holy Spirit's power in our life. Listen, when I'm not dependent on Christ, I don't need the Holy Spirit. But when I'm totally dependent on Christ, oh, I can't, I can't make it the next moment without the Holy Spirit. That's number two. Number three, there are also Christians who used to believe. Christians who used to believe. Such persons need the advice given to Christ. Advice given by Christ to the church of Ephesians when they left their first love. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Remember from the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. 
Listen, I believe today Christians need to grab a hold of the power and the life of the Spirit of God. Why? To walk in freedom, to walk confidently in joy despite our circumstances. We might look at the Scriptures and say, man, I... I struggle being obedient with what God has called me to do. I've, I've tried it, man. I'm, I, I, I'm drawn to uh, the ethical teaching. I'm drawn to the gospel, but I, I just I can't have victory uh, over, over, over anything. Everything I try, I, I, I fail at. Listen, I'm not talking about being victorious at everything, walking through this life sinless. We, we can't. That's impossible. We have a sinful nature in us, and there's, a, there's this constant battle of the things of the Spirit and the things of the flesh. And, and sometimes we choose the things of the flesh. Sometimes we choose the things of the Spirit. And when we choose the things of the Spirit, we're victorious. But some people, there are some people who are listening to me today who can't even choose the things of the Spirit because you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I love this quote by Archbishop William Temple. Oh, just just get this image in your mind. Listen to what he says. It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. There's There's no use in even saying that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. It's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus, and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. Oh, but listen to what he says here. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the Spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Oh, listen, the Holy Spirit can come and live in life. He wants, He longs. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus goes away and He sends the Holy Spirit so that you and I can have power to live the way God has called us to live. To live in a way that brings honor and glory to Him in everything that we do. In our, in our family life, in our career life, in our, in our hobbies, in, in every single fiber of our being, the Holy Spirit indwells us and He gives us the power. He gives us the authority to live the way He's called us to live. And I wonder if there's anyone here, I don't wonder, I know, but will you, will you, will you be awakened to the fact that there's knowledge, but there's no relationship. And may the evidence of that be that there's no power, there's no joy, there's no celebration, there's no, there's no worship, there's no genuine worship, there's longing for it. There's, man, I wish I could do that. I, 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 wish, I, I wish I could celebrate that way. I wish I could, I could honor God with my life that way. There's a longing for it, but it's not there. Oh, let that be a sign. And today, 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 do as those twelve disciples of John did. Hear the Gospel. Accept Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation. Turn away from self-dependence. Turn away from self-reliance. And receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And watch your life be set on fire for the Gospel. 
Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.